I'm Yasi Salek, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. What's poppin'? Real ones. Ra-Ra there, Lolo here. How you doing, Ra? How was your weekend, bud? Oh, it was good. It was good. Do you say Lolo? Did I pick the Lolo? Ra-Ra and Lolo? I'm Lolo. You you Um, Ra-Ra, I'm Lolo. Good weekend, man. Good weekend. A lot of uh, 707 and then my my young fellow was all about Zen Bell this weekend. Yeah, 707 and basketball on Saturday and then just basketball on Sunday. So it was a good weekend on the fields and in the gym. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, a lot of high level... High level fifth grade work going on. Are you are you impressed, or you, did you come away from this weekend very upset? Because you know how you, you're wild card on how you feel about weekends on the in the gym. Some days you you're excited about where basketball is going. Other days, which we see on this pod, you just you just want to give up on on the yeah whole mixed thing. How mixed was, emotions. was this weekend there? Okay, mixed emotions. There was some really bad product out there, but there were some teams that were that were you know at a young age. Um, working the way you're supposed to work, moving the ball and, you know, cutting and making the extra pass if someone gets a great shot. Like, oh, mixed emotions. It sounds like the Phoenix Suns offense on Sunday. Yeah. Um, Dude. Low, low. Dude. Well done. Thanks, bud. Um, I I know we would talk about the Suns, but damn it, we're going to keep talking about the Suns. This is one of those, this is one of those podcasts, ladies and gentlemen. Or we're just talking, and we're going to figure it out as we go. But first thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the Phoenix Suns and Mavericks game because we talked last uh, week uh, just about our first impressions of the Suns and who they were playing. Uh, The Charlotte Hornets really didn't give a great indication of what they could be. 
I think this last game um, against the uh, against the Mavericks on Sunday was a, a way better indication of how good this team can be, and it, honestly, it it it's it solidified um, all the thoughts that I had on them. And I really, I think I'm really high on the Suns, Raja. I, I'm really high on what they can do, specifically just like down the stretch. I think that there was um, you could tell a lot about a lot of teams when um, they can get the types of shots that they get down the stretch. And I think that even while like Luca had a chance to get to tie the game at the end, they had the Mavericks had to work too hard to get shots. And then I saw the Suns. Whenever they play, they have three dudes that can get it that you trust in big moments. Um, and Chris Paul and, and uh, Kevin Durant and um, and Devin Booker and all three of those guys shine in getting easy shots down the stretch. I really like what I see. I'm seeing out of the Suns, and I think that 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 Sunday game really solidified it. This was the, this was the good part of the of Sunday basketball. That uh, that that I, I I was really impressed. I was I was really impressed with what I saw. Yeah, I, that was an interesting game because both of those teams are are uh, kind of trying to figure out exactly who they are after these trades have been made. You know what I mean? And um, I also, I mean, obviously, having I, I I agree with you in that Phoenix is a problem down the stretch in terms of shot creation. It's not really about whether you can make a shot sometimes down the stretch. It's about whether you can create it. Push comes to shove. Like, we can't get into offense or there's not a set we can run. Like, can I give you the ball and can you create a shot? Whether it's, you know, for you or for for someone else. But if push comes to shove, can you create one? Like, you saw the one with, like, 11 seconds on the clock where KD, Tim Hardaway Jr. did a good job of denying him all the way out to damn half court. And, you know, you just he's 6'11", you throw the ball up to his hand and he takes three dribbles, he's at the left elbow and he's just going up over two people and knocking that down. Like, you can't guard that. Um, so those luxuries, having people that can do that um, are, are a problem for teams to defend. I I, I, I think both of those teams um, are going to have to figure out what else, what else can help. While those three are brilliant offensively, and you had like 9, 9, and 12 um, in terms of supplemental scoring, it, it, but is there another guy Right, that 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 can get us, you know, that fifteen to seventeen. Like, if if something were to go wrong, it's not an it's not an absolute necessity, but it's a good luxury to have another dude who that we can figure out how he can produce in this offense. Some of that, some of that organically goes away when you got three guys that are shooting the volume of shots that they're shooting. But you, you want to look for that on both of those teams. Tim Hardaway would be the most likely candidate, I guess. Um, you know, maybe a Christian Wood. Tim Hardaway, like another guy on that team that can get you the the buckets for the Suns, it'll be interesting. Um, defensively, though, I think both of those teams, you know, gonna have to figure some things out. Now, there's some prolific. There's a prolific offense going on. I mean, they they hung up. What's that? Two hundred and fifty six points. You know, uh, it, it combined, like that's a big number. Um, but there's going to be some things that both of those teams have to figure out from a perimeter defensive perspective uh, as you as you get deeper into the playoffs and you're trying to win a championship. And I think that's only fair. What are like a couple of teams that, that fit that mold that you, that you speak of that probably can expose in the Western conference and the Eastern conference. What are like, when you look at the Mavericks and you look at the Suns, what are a, a few teams that you're like, Oh, they have the personnel that can expose everything that you describe. I'm thinking about the, as, as I'm talking, I'm thinking about a team like the bucks 
were just so heavy in the front line, right? With Bobby Portis and 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 Giannis and and um, and and the and the Lopez twin right there, right? So like, how, who are the teams that you that that fit this mold um, to that can expose them? And where the Suns are like, well, fuck, man, we're 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 in a bit of a pickle. Yeah, well, the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks for sure. They get they pose that problem for everyone in the league right now, though. I mean. Philly came back. It was a it was a great game. James Harden was doing James Harden esque things, you know, coming down. I think they were down eighteen, bro. There um, were a few logo shots from James Harden, and I'm like, yo, yo, relax, relax, straight bro. up. Yeah, he was in his bag. But but it, but my point is, like, Philly came back and won the game, but they were even, you know, giving Philly that work for a while. They they posed the problem for every team in the NBA. They're just that big. Uh, you got Giannis and they shoot it as well as they do. So, so certainly them. Um, and then on the flip side of that, I say a team like maybe uh, uh, Memphis with as many, as many like perimeter weapons as they have. And you're going to have to guard the shit out of them out there. Like that's, that's on the other end of the spectrum, maybe not the size, but the, the, the just ability for a lot of dudes out there with the ball to get a bucket and be able to create. And you've got to have answers defensively for that. So those will just be two off the top. Well, it's interesting. You brought up another like a good point because I keep thinking about um, you know when I when I was watching the game, I was watching like a lot of Sunday basketball. I saw the uh, you know Lakers Warriors, and I saw, I watched um, you know a little bit of of uh, Bucks Sixers and in, in this just the end of Suns Mavs. But every game that I'm thinking about during this um, this part of the season, it's interesting where we're at, where we're fi- we're out of the trade deadline. It seems like a reset for a lot of teams that are contending, especially ones that just right after the trade deadline where they're just mm-hmm. trying to figure out what this new team looks like. The Mavs and the Suns are a great example of that. Um, and then I see – you see kind of curious games, right? Like you see um, – I wouldn't say curious in this regard, but just interesting where you see the Knicks go into the guard, into the Boston Garden and win, right? And then you see the Sixers – go in and win in, in in Milwaukee after just everything that went on in that game. How do you gauge success during this time where it's not necessarily the dog days, but we're trying to figure out this new normal with these teams. And also, anytime you have a break in a season, you kind of got to get your legs back under you and kind of, uh, you know, figure things out. So a lot of there as a result, there are a lot of curious scores and a lot of curious games. How do you kind of decipher success from all of these types of games? And what are you looking to see during this tar- part of the season? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a, there's a lot of meat on the bone with that question. Um, trying to figure out, you know, exactly what is, a, a team has showed you basically who they are DNA wise right now. Now, the two teams that had just made major like game shifting moves would would be Mavs and and Phoenix, right? Like so, those teams would be the ones that I would look at and say, "Hey, give me a minute to really make a decision on what that looks like." There's going to be a longer period of trying to figure this out on the fly because of su- the the magnitude of the pieces that were either extracted or or brought in from the from the equation. Um, those other teams, I think, you know, you might come out of the gate slow around the break, maybe, and you might be dragging a little bit, but for the most part, they are who they are. They don't usually just fall off of a cliff after the all-star break or become this juggernaut of a team after the all-star break. You know what I mean? Like they might come out a little slow or even a little hot, but you normally get back to the mean of who they've been 
for this sample size that you've had for, for what, two thirds of the season now. Um, I got a couple, I, I meant to, I would be remiss if I didn't put Denver in the mix of teams that you said that you asked me about. Yeah, sure, like sure. last question, like Denver's one of those teams. Um, and now I want to touch Clippers on Clippers are one of those teams as well. Just trying to figure them whatever a new normal is out. And they're kind of struggling with that, but I think the Clippers as well. The, Cl- the Clips would be in that. Denver would be in the category of teams I think that could give like the, those teams problems from a defensive perspective because they have things like Jokic is a problem and they've they got perimeter pieces that can that can get you buckets. Like those are, I mean, that's why they're number one right in the West, right? But um, the Knicks, see, the Knicks are interesting to me, right? Because the Knicks are one of those teams that that is playing really, really good basketball. You're talking about nine in a row, just beat the Celtics. They've got a lot of pieces that that uh, on any given night can can uh, can produce for them. Um, Julius Randle, I watched a game the other night against the Heat where he just went berserk and uh, and hit the game winner to beat them. Like they're a fun team to watch. My question with the Knicks is, they are in the sweet spot of like a Tom Thibodeau team. Of, 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 you remember at least this is the way I see it of all those teams that he coached in, in with the Bulls that were really, really good. You know, they, they had a bunch of guys that fit the mold of what he wanted to do. Like in terms of just gritty, tough, like it might not always be pretty, but they defend, they figure it out. Um, and the question was always like, did they have, the guy they did when they had D Rose a little bit, but like some of those other teams didn't have D Rose and they were still really viable teams, but they didn't have the firepower to get over to hump to like win the whole thing, you know? And so it'll be interesting to see if this is the team that he, you know, did he go back to the drawing board those years that he was out and figure some things out in a way that's going to allow this team that is really good. I mean, they're 11th in the league, I think in terms of defensive efficiency and they're top 10 in terms of offensive efficiency, like, they're really close to being one of those teams that you would say has a viable shot to win it. And I, and yet I still feel like I still feel like they're, they're on the outside looking in just a little bit. Um, yeah. I, do, I, I, does that make sense? No, it, it does make sense, man. It feels like a lot of, so i whenever I think of Tom Thibodeau, I think about that 2010, 2011 Bulls team, which is probably like Pete Tom Thibodeau, right? Where you have the, I mean, say what you want about D. Rose right now as a player, but in 2010, he was a top five player in the league. Clearly, he won MVP, right? So yep, yep. that that was the perfect storm of just what you would want out of a Thibodeau team, a very tough, hard-nosed team with a guy that is a superstar that can get you buckets at a moment's notice, right? Right. Now, it's... It's a bit more by committee, right? And he still he has a really good player in Julius Randle, but Julius Randle isn't at least in league circles considered a top ten player. Now he's dope, and he will put he will put some fear in you when he plays, probably in the regular season. But in the postseason, I just see the Knicks as a really really hard nosed team that can give you problems. And for some teams that's great, right? Like that that'll be great year in and year out. This is just a tough hard nosed team that will that ceiling is probably the second round. And that's what I see when I see the Knicks, right? Like the Knicks are a team in the regular season because here's one other thing. When you play in the regular season, you'll win a lot of games just by playing hard. 
like the his teams are designed. Yes, they will. They will. And I know. They, and I yes. know. Like all my real ones out there will be like, "Oh, uh, duh, Logan. Like, of course you win games playing hard." But like, what I mean is, on the second night of a back to back for a really great team. Sometimes they just don't have it, right? And if another team like the Knicks, who is a really good team or a really scrappy team, is diving for loose balls and on a Tuesday in January, like they're going to win the game. It's going to happen. And you're going to see these types of games where they beat the Celtics or maybe they beat the Bucks on the road. And you're like, oh, man, what should I be thinking about with the Knicks? But then when you go into the playoffs and some a team is locked in on the team and they're just all they're doing is scouting, um, the other team's best player, and they're and it's it's possession by possession. I just don't necessarily trust the Knicks beyond that, and I and I and and I think that just says that speaks to a lot of the qualities that you're talking about with a top Thibodeau coach team. Yeah, it's hard nosed, but they need a star. Like the Knicks need a genuine star that can bring them over the top, and one of those types of guys. That's what they need. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they I, I agree with just about everything you said there. They're, Tom Thibodeau's teams are are coached in a way that that they maximize more than anyone else the ability to beat teams by playing hard throughout the course of an NBA season. Like every team's capable of doing it, but not everybody maximizes it. His teams are going to get those games. They're getting them. They get them in a way and at a percent that's higher than other teams in the league. Like he he really operates. I saw the Knicks great. last year. I saw the Knicks last year in Sacramento, bro, and it was just one of those hard go- it looked like every time the Knicks come off the floor, look like they just got out of a war. They're just like they're just sweating, there's there's blood everywhere and they just they just win games. And I love watching them play in a regular season match because they're going for every loose ball. They they are they are punishing you. They're coming back they always have the potential to come back from double deficits because they're going to play harder than you every single night. Right. Yes, for sure. Now, they've also got two two players, maybe two and a half, but I think you know they're still growing a little bit. But and and Jalen Brunson and and Julius Randle, and I love this term. They talk about they use it with quarterbacks a lot. Can he go above the X's and O's? And that's essentially what I'm saying about like Kevin Durant, those dudes. When I say, hey. If you need a bucket, you just give them the ball and get out the way. Can they take you with? They have two that that can look. They get you a bucket. They'll create it. You only got to have a play drawn up or anything like that. Um, I don't think they are in the elite category of being able to do that, but they are certainly way above average in terms of being able to do that. So you couple those two things together, and they're a problem in 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 the playoffs. And they become an even bigger problem. They're a matchup. They're they're a matchup team. Like if they draw a team that is really good at drilling in on your tendencies and 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 game planning to take those away. And if they face a team like that, that's going to be more difficult and out for them. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they're they're a matchup team because don't get it twisted. It might not look like you know Kevin Durant or. Devin Booker or Luca or Kyrie, but both of those cats will get you buckets. And some of them are tough, physical, bruising buckets. And that style of play will take its toll if you get into a lengthy series with those boys. Like you're talking about watching a game and you can feel it from the stands. Like anyone who's been up in close front row, maybe to 10 rows deep in an NBA game where where you can really feel the 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 contact and you can hear it. Um 
those can be wars. And especially those New York type of Tom Thibodeau coach teams, those are physical battles. And if they can get their hands on you over the course of like six or seven, like they, they could be a problem. So but I, I still do- think they're on the outside looking in in terms of championship uh, conversation. Sure. So I'm looking at the uh, the, the uh, Eastern Conference standings right now, and the teams that are firmly in the in the four and five um, seeds right now are the Cleveland Cavaliers and the New York Knicks. Cleveland is now fourth, and the Knicks are, are fifth. That looks like a really, really, really hard nosed series, dog. Like one of those things that can go fully seven games in the first round, probably like. Could be like the best first round series that we have on the slate, depending on how things shake out. Is Cleveland the type of team because they have a Donovan Mitchell that has that can go over the top? Like I'm just trying to we're we're in March right now, so I'm trying to see like if we're here, we're still right here. Who do you got in a series right there against those two types of teams that are both hard nosed and they're definitely big? You better bring your lunch pail type teams. What do you think about that matchup that we have right now? Is 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 Cleveland the team that can because they have a guy like Donovan who is a who is a is a is a really great scorer and also rises above the X's and O's. What do you see in a matchup between those two teams right now at this very moment? I think that I would lean Cleveland in that series. Cleveland is better defensively. Um, and I think they're really close offensively. You got to forgive me. I looked at, I looked at all the stats before we came on, but they're, they're somewhere in there. They're a top 10 team. Uh, but because of their D they're, they're like second or third in the league in terms of defensive efficiency. And like I told you, I don't think necessarily Julius or, 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 or Jalen are in the Donovan Mitchell conversation in terms of being above the, be able to go above the X's and O's. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, is that fair? I mean, I it's I I, I, think, I think Donovan I think Mitchell is in a, because yeah. I mean, it, I think that they're great players. I think that that uh, Jalen Brunson is a great player. I think Julius Randle is a great player. But I absolutely do think that like you don't win a title if those two dudes are your like your one and two. And so, that's no so, disrespect to either one, one of them. And and it'll remain to be seen whether or not like Spider can be your number one in that capacity, right? Like facts. He's still right. So. But I do think he is he is on a slightly higher level of being able to do that. And because of their defensive prowess as a team, I think I'm gonna take Cleveland. But man, that's one that's the type of series that I would be locked in. I would be tuned in to watch that. Like that would be that would be a fun one, or at least it should be on paper. But I would lean Cleveland um because I I think they're they're better, they're better defensively, and you've then you've got the best player. Do you okay? So we talked about Jalen Brunson right now, right? And we've talked about the Mavs earlier in this in this episode. Do you, if you're the Dallas Mavericks, and I have my thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts first. We all made the big. De- there was a big deal being made about Jalen Brunson, you know, leaving the Mavs and and the Mavs uh, maybe not doing enough, or you know, the Knicks just already having it in the bag, but you. On the on the Mavs side, you're like, why would you lose that asset? That's stupid. Do you think the Mavs have any of that remorse? Because I don't necessarily do, but do you think that they that they if they see Jalen Brunson flourishing in New York and just balling, do you think they're like, damn, we could have had that on our team? 
Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's human nature. You see him over there. Because theoretically, you could have had Jalen Brunson and Kyrie Irving if you look at the the if you look at it right. Like I I would imagine I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if you signed this guy and you traded him, I don't know. Maybe it seems like in a world that you could have had them both. I I don't know what the relationships were behind closed doors. Like I'm not I'm not saying that they were great vibes or bad vibes. So I don't know the ins and outs of that. Like, but I think purely from a production standpoint and what what he's what he's been able to do this year, if well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think, like, I fell into the category of wondering last year whether or not that was a sustainable thing for him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and he's been able to sustain it. So I think, you know, if I were there, I'd be like, damn, yes, I wish we would have kept that. I, I can only speculate. But I think there's probably people in Dallas like, shit, man, that would have that been nice to keep. Because him and Luca were cooking. Like, they yeah. had figured that out, you know? They, had, they were already, you're waiting, you want Kyrie and Luca to figure it out. Not that Jalen is Kyrie, but Jalen and and Luca had already kind of figured that out. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know, man. I think like if you replace if if at least on paper, and I don't know, I'm talking about basketball only. If you were to tell somebody, "Yo, we got rid of Jalen Brunson, but we did get Kyrie Irving," someone, I think that I think that would be, you know, people would be happy about that, right? Oh yeah, you would for be sure. Kind of happy. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're just trading one for the other, yeah. But if you're, you know, if you had one in building, and you could, in in theory, had have had all three in some capacity, and and one just was something that you kind of let get away, I would, I would certainly, watching what it's doing now, say, damn, that would have been cool <laughs> if we could have kept that. That would have been good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 interesting going going back into. Um, just seeing where we're at right now, but I want to take a quick, really, really quick break, real quick, and I want to talk about a coach and a team that we don't really talk about much on this program. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's three p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month. 
just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. And we are back. Raja, I'm ready to talk about a team we don't we don't really ever talk about unless it's in the negative news. But this is a team that has been honestly one of the darlings of uh, of the NBA so far. Um, I got my cowbell back in the back mm. right now. Um, we'll talk about the Sacramento Kings, all right, who are currently third in the Western Conference. Have a coach by the name of Mike Brown, who honestly is the the odds-on favorite to win Coach of the Year. I think that that he's 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 in that and that's in that stage right now. Um, everyone is surprised by what they have been doing. They are thirty-seven and twenty-six. Um, Raja, when I tell you the Sacramento Kings are one of the contenders in the Western Conference at this point. How the hell did it happen and what it and 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 <laughs> how the hell did it happen? And what are your thoughts on it happening? First of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to pump your brakes slightly. Cause I don't know that they're necessarily a contender in the Western Conference right now. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, on look, record suggests on paper, yeah. Not, yeah. paper, yeah. But I put them also in the category of team where I think they're probably on the outside of that conversation looking in. Having said that, it is not to marginalize anything they've done. Because that, first of all, I'm happy for Sacto because when I came up, you had those Mavs Sacramento series. They were phenomenal. You 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 know, I actually Wait, got to play. Raja, Raja, huh? Raja. I think I went to watch you play one the year you were in Dallas. I saw you play. Because oh, I didn't. I mean, I saw you were on the court playing, so I did watch you play basketball. But it was the Christmas Day game in two thousand and three, Mavs Kings. That was your only year in in Dallas. And I remember Miles yeah. got tickets last, like very last minute, and I was in the the top of the top. But I saw that was the first time I saw Dirk. That was the first time I saw you play live in person. Yep, and it was that season. It was that season, and that shit was rocking. Sacramento is one of the coolest. Oh, now, mind you, I haven't been in the new building, so I I can't speak to it. But best arena in the league. There you have it. Arco, while it wasn't like constructed, you wouldn't walk in that thing and be like, hey, man, this is a dope place to play basketball. It was one of the dopest places to play basketball because when when they were good, Oh my God, there wasn't, there was not unequivocally hear what I'm saying to you. There was not another environment like that. Not there at just all, wasn't. It was, it was OKC before OKC. If like it laid the blueprint for whatever you think OKC was at its peak. It was also like Arco Arena. And we're, I promise we'll get to the like current Kings at mm, some point mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, this conversation. Mm-hmm. But Arco Arena uh, RIP was situated like out in the outskirts of Sacramento, like midway between the airport and the downtown area. And it wasn't and like SAC wasn't as developed as it is now. So that that basketball arena was just out the way in the middle of nowhere. It was just in the there. middle of nowhere. It was just chilling. And it 
would get fucking rocking, bro. Listen. It would get it would it would, and it was an older building. The seats were a little wrecked. I remember because like they would play they would play state championship games in Sacramento when I okay. was in high school. That's where they would play. But it would just get rocking. It was an older building. There was like metal where it wasn't supposed to be it, be at. There were the fucking locker rooms were right underneath the um the uh the stands. The stands. And it would and it would it it was like not in like a, a way you would think. Like literally you could see seats from the visitors locker room. And so, it would be so cold and hot. It was just, oh it was, it was just it was it was the NBA of yesteryear and the greatness of NBA of yesteryear. It was one of those last arenas like that. Absolutely, and there were some vibes of buildings to play in, man. There are some places that got electric, and you, you know, they'd be on my Mount Rushmore of places to play. But I'm telling you, when when Sacramento was good in terms of in terms of crowd energy stuff that'll make your hair kind of stand up on your arms or your legs, that place was unbelievable. I remember being in there for the playoff series, I kind of knew the history of it coming into camp because a lot of what we were talking about with in Dallas in 2003, as we came into camp was what had happened in those series and they hadn't beat them. Uh, the Kings that is. So like, I kind of knew, but I wasn't fully like, you know, baptized in it. And so when we got into that series and I can't speak to the Christmas day game, I don't think I probably was in the rotation. Like it was hot and cold with, with Nelly. Like I started half the games that season and then the rest of them, I didn't even play. So like I might not have played in that, but I was playing in the playoffs. Um, I remember getting into our locker room. You go through the tunnel, you make the quick left and the locker room's right there. And to your point, Logan, like if you look up in that locker room, it's, it's a low, it's a Wait, low overhead. Quick, this, I just want to huh. paint a picture a little bit more real quick. Arco Arena was one of those places where if you got in, the buses were on the other side of the where the locker room was. It was on the other side of the court from the visitors' locker room. So this is one of the rare arenas because there isn't that many hallways or whatever. Visiting players would have to walk across the court to get yes. to their locker room. Yes. Like, because the arena was so small and there wasn't hallways like that. That's right. And the heckling, well, they, usually there weren't people in there when that first bus got there. But if you got there late, like the heckling could start immediately as you're walking through. Right. Um, but so we get into the locker room and, you know, I had been in there. It was small and we had changed pregame and everything was fine. And you look up and you you notice that the ceiling in there was kind of carved out like like reverse risers. Right. So like it is gradually coming down like steps above your head. And so you know, that was obviously the the way the arena was constructed on top of you. And then I realized like, damn, you're sitting on, on, you know, these are the fans are like right there. I couldn't hear a word Don Nelson said during halftime. He, he, he coached those games with, with those little uh, like earplugs that like uh, people that deal with airplanes and stuff wear mm -hmm. because yeah. the crowd was so loud. So they, during the entire halftime speech, the people sitting in that section, like they knew that they were right over the, 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 they just stomped on the ground the entire time we were in that locker room. You couldn't hear anything. It was just, it was an incredible vibe. But anyway, I digress. So like, I, I'm very excited for the people in Sacramento to have a, a product back, especially when you put into context, into context where they've come from in recent history, right? Like, man, man. you talk about can't get rights. I mean, so full disclosure. So like when I what my first ever opportunity in the journalism game was when I was I was living in the Bay Area and I was 
interning at this radio station in Sacramento. So like it was during a lockout year. That was my first iteration of like just being around an NBA team on a regular basis, bro. And when I tell you it was dysfunctional, that is a gross understatement. You know, my first year when I was like just around the team, it was when they were flirting with the idea of moving to Seattle and had a deal in place to move to Seattle. And I remember there was this one time um, when, uh, huh? Sorry, at band I couldn't help. I couldn't help. <laughs> I'm sorry, my fuck. <laughs> I, I don't even help. know what that was. What was that? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to do a very, very, <laughs> a very, very. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> bad, bro. I couldn't help. We're trying to do an introspective speech. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna have Kerm like do the do the music behind it as I talk. When I was a young whippersnapper as, a, <laughs> as an intern, I remember they were just it was just so whack and just so dysfunctional that season that sponsors wouldn't even sponsor the the arena. Right? They were like, "Yo, take my sponsorship off." Right? I remember there was this one time. I think I think it was like Wells Fargo or some bank had had like pulled the sponsorship. Right? But it was so dingy at Arco Arena that they didn't um they didn't take the sponsorship sign down. They just put a cloth over it during the game and it was on the <laughs> score. It was on the uh the scoreboard. So they just put like yeah. a fucking like like a sheet over it, right? During the game, the sheet falls <laughs> onto the court oh. as games are playing. And Keith Smart, who was the head coach at the time, had to run on the court, get the 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 sheet while the team was on the other end of the court and then run it back to the to the sideline. That's how dysfunctional the Kings that the Kings that I saw were. And it's just been that just, way systematically. Even with the new ownership, it's been that way. They have finally made a right decision in like hiring a guy like Mike Brown, who is honestly the perfect head coach for this type of team. Young team. All yeah. you can mold them. They they don't play defense, but they play all the way to their strengths and they play a perfect brand of basketball that a young team should play in front of a crowd like sack because I've been to a couple games this season, bro, at Golden One. It gets loud. It gets loud. Yeah. No, that's what's up, man. That's what and I think I think, you know, you hit on a few things. I think you gotta give Monty McNair some credit too, right? Like we talked about uh most definitely. You know, some of the some of the some of the moves that initially you might have been like, oh, and I mean, the vision was there and he's, he's, uh, you know, the plan seems to be being executed. Um, here, here's, I said this last pod about like being exciting, like only one team's going to win the championship. And sometimes that, that, that might not even be the overall best team. Like it, it could be like one team dodged the injury bug better than the other one. Like, do you know what I mean? There, there, there are factors that kind of go into that. Like, boom, Kevin Durant tears an Achilles. Clay Thompson tears an ACL. They're, they're now out. You, can you dig what I'm saying? So it's not always about that. So it's, I guess what I'm saying is there's some, there are things that go into winning a championship that, that aren't always um, within your control. Injuries, suspension, so on and so forth. So the next thing we want to do is be fucking exciting, man put out a brand of basketball that people like can get down with and want to come to the building to watch us play. And they, they do that in a big way. I do think it's interesting, both interesting and um, will be fixed is, is defensively. Like, I think that Mike Brown, historically that's been his calling card, right? Like 
he's a he's a defensive guy and he's got this kind of team and he went about it systematically. I think it's also a great story about about learning. Like, you know, Mike Brown's been a multiple time head coach and I think you can see him continue to develop too. So the way he approached What's this the, that's team. That's a big question, though. What's the biggest development? Because we, I want to talk about this part of it because we both spent a lot of time around Mike Brown. And I know the Mike Brown that I know, which is the vibe chilling, like, oh, yeah, we're going to get this figured out. I got the post-Golden State Warriors Mike Brown. You got the beginning Mike Brown where he was the micromanager, the guy that would stay yeah. in the gym for 20 hours a day and not have a social life type thing. And it still wouldn't work. Like what was, what was the early Mike Brown like? Well, I didn't play for Mike. Mike was around the staff. I think he was joining the Spurs when I was a baby and I didn't make that Spurs team. He was with them. So I only knew him and, and then in Cleveland, I was consulting right before he got fired. So, you know, I wasn't around him a lot, but that is what I had kind of heard about him, which was he was a grinder. You know what I mean? Like he was a, you know, a hard work. And a lot of guys were like, you know, but I think as he experienced more like trial and error, you know, been around a new generation of, of person, like any good coach has to continue to evolve. And I think you've seen him evolve into the guy that you know from Golden State, and again, I haven't been around him at all, so I, I can't really speak to this, but I've heard accounts from you and other people that, that those are the vibes now. And so in it, coaching in today's NBA, especially offensively, I feel like to coach an offensive team, you have to have a light hand. To coach a defensive team, you can be a little heavier handed, blah, 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 blah. But to coach one of these teams that is that is just fluid movement and offensive like um, um, creativity. Your hand has to be really light. Like Mike, Mike D'Antoni was my example of this, and I juxtapose him to like to to um, um, Jerry Sloan. My Utah teams were based on tough defensive mindset, very little creativity offensively, um, and very little deviation from the script. I've told the story again, the genesis of like the, the Darren Williams and Jerry fallout when Jerry retired, uh, it probably wasn't the genesis, but this is what the straw that broke the camel's back was simply calling a play that was meant to be ran on the left side of the court and calling it and flipping it to the right side of the court, exact same play because Darren thought that I think it was Al Jefferson wanted to post up on this side better than he wanted to post up on the left. And Jerry like was really upset about that. So heavy handed defensive mindset type of team. But then Mike D'Antoni on an offensive team, he, he barely ever tinkered with what people were doing to a point where I'd say to him, Mike, you know, I'd be in his office. I'd be like, I, Mike, you know, you know, damn well, he's supposed to swing that ball, man. Like this is a swing swing. And he'd tell me, yeah, Raj, should he probably have swung that ball? Absolutely. He was like, but if I get in his head and tell him to swing that ball, then he starts second guessing other shots. And I think cumulatively, it's better to have him playing free and not second guess anything than it is to have him, you know, thinking about it just so we can get this one right. So it was a long answer to a short question is I think he's, 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 he's loosened his reins and he's a lot more chill and it allows the offense to kind of run the way it runs. But I do think they're uniquely positioned with a guy who has history of building good defenses to kind of find their way to having the type of defense that could help them sustain winning. I I think it's a really good case study right now and just 
I think a lot of coaches get messed up in the fact that they want to get their philosophy out without looking at the personnel of the team. You know what I mean? Right. Like Mike Brown is a defensive minded coach. His record speaks for itself. Like I'm not talking about this season because I think the Kings are 26 in defensive. Yeah, defensive they're not Chiefs. great defensively. They don't. They don't guard anyone. They, they, they are like me. They are not like Roger Bell. They are like me. <laughs> They're like <laughs> it is. It is a revolving door defense here. But um, I think that honestly is weirdly a compliment to Mike Brown, right? Because this is his first year, right? He hasn't been able to implement his full um, implementation of his defense and what he wants to accomplish, but. I think this is honestly a compliment to Mike Brown because what he could have done, he could have derailed the whole situation be like, Darren, why you ain't playing no defense, bro? Go and lock in. I don't care about what you do offensively. It's a bonus. Just be the best defender you can be. Do that. But what he's done is like, you know what? We're going to play to this team's strengths. And we're going to, as yeah. we do that, we're going to systematically implement this philosophy. It speaks to a guy that honestly has gone through a lot of things in his career, seen a lot of things. We forget, man, this dude this dude uh, was a head coach for a team that featured LeBron James, then went to a team that featured Kobe Bryant, then went to a team that, like, he's seen a lot, right? Kyrie. And that's just as a head coach. Kyrie, um, yeah. and that's just as a head coach, right? As an assistant, you know, he's he had to deal with motherfuckers like Raja Bell and fucking and training <laughs> camp and shit. Um, but also like Ron Artest, like he knows how to to um, work with different personalities. But he's like, experienced he's, to his to his credit. He's like, Darren, be the fastest guy in the NBA. Just, you know, just just figure your stuff out and just play to your strengths and we will we will we will implement that other stuff on the back end. I am really impressed with this second chance that um or third or fourth chance however you want to call it, but the the next chance because a lot of coaches don't get this chance, you know? Absolutely. A lot of guys don't do that. Well, he's I mean he's a really good coach, so, you know, I he's earned the right. Like, you know, he went he went back and 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 put his time in being an assistant again. But like Mike Brown's always been a really good coach, but what you're talking about now is an evolution that shows like flexibility. It shows, um, it, 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 it shows a, a lot of ability to understand and read the room. Know that if I come in too heavy handed right now from the experiences I had, like I can't lose these dudes off the bat. So let's play to the strengths, like adaptability. Let's, let's, let's do that. And again, if I'm a Sacramento Kings fan, or if I'm someone in that building making decisions, like I'm really excited because if it were flipped on its head and the defense was great and the offense was terrible, I'd have no roadmap uh, or, or history to suggest that we know how to get there. But in this space, I'd be really excited because the offense is great and Mike Brown knows defense. Like that's what he does. Like, we'll, we'll be all right. We'll, we'll get there. I can see that because I've got, he's got the track record and I can see the roadmap to it. So in that, in that space, I'm really excited. I, I am very excited. The Kings have had a lot of luck this season and they're going to need a lot of luck as this, 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 the standings come into play, right? They're firmly, I think I'm looking at the standings right now. They're firmly in, uh, in third place, um, they're two two games above uh, Phoenix. But say like right now, the Kings will be playing the Timberwolves, which I think is a really good out for the Kings. I think the Kings can figure that out. They can win that series. But say like Golden State slips to six, 
you know, or like the Mavs get to six or something like that, or or the Clippers get to six and they get out of the play-in, like that's going to be a very, very tough matchup for the Kings. What are you are if you're in this stage right now as a coach and you're trying to figure this out or as a team, what are you trying to accomplish as a young team like this who doesn't because my thing with the Kings right now is they're a really good regular season team. I don't see them going that far in the postseason. The reason being they just ain't never been there before. I know they have right. coaches that have been there, but they, they have coaches that have been there, they have people in their organization that have been there, great staff right now, but it's De'Aaron Fox just hasn't been there before, you know, sure. on that level. And so I they this is a team that needs the right matchup to at least get into the seconds and the out of the first round into the second round. I don't see them as a contender contender, but if they want to like really just, you know, get around uh one, they have to have the right matchup. But when you're in the building, what is your mindset during this time when you're trying to figure your way through? A season like this how are you looking towards it are you you're not looking at the standings right you're just trying to keep on winning every game what are you doing what is the what is the vibe that should be and what is the vibe that it is right now in sacramento let's play ball we're not we're not concerning ourselves with playoff seating or you know obviously we want to be in the playoffs but we're not concerning ourselves with what matchup we're going to see or we're not putting the cart before the horse like we are we are developing habits here we are trying to consistently be the as close to the best version of ourselves that we can be every game, developing that mentality, having that attitude, and trusting that if we learn to do that more often than not, um, with the talent that we have and the infrastructure that we have, that we will ultimately get to where we want to go. But right now, we're in the infancy stages of that. We're we're just trying to learn how to do this consistently. And whoever we see, we're gonna give them a dog fight, win or lose. We're going to give them a dog fight, but we can't start trying to pick out. We haven't done shit yet. We're, yeah. we're trying to, we're just trying to play ball. We'll beat you. I think, you know, around the young teams that I've been around, that's the, the trap, right? Where you think you better than you are and you actually think you've done something. I mean, we see that with the, the, the Memphis Grizzlies right now. And it's, you know, who have been just a poster child of when keeping it real goes wrong, but I digress. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> well, the, the, the the Kings um, could fall prey into that, right? Like, of just, man, we're here overlooking opponents. We're supposed to win this game type. You know what I mean? That, that They're getting to that. How do you, as a coach, say, nah, that ain't it? We ain't done shit. Do you just, is that a, is that a message every day of we haven't done anything yet? Or like, how do you kind of, um, well, first of all, let me just, when you said that, it like, Remember the uh, Dave Chappelle skits where you know he goes through it and I he was like, at, that mo- at at that moment, Logan knew that he had fucked up, right? Like, and I just pictured Ja in the video with with the with the gun. <laughs> that ain't gonna <laughs> been a classic Chappelle skit. I'm sorry, we ain't gonna talk, Ja. But like, imagine no, that, listen. like in in the fucking video, gun out, and at that moment. What the John fuck? <laughs> but look, I do, I'm not going to get into that. I just we that digress. Was, that's, how, that's our it, feelings on that situation. All to everyone that's been hitting us, like what we think. That's it. Now yes, let's talk about something positive. Yes. So I think <laughs> it's kind of it was funny to me. It, it tickled my soul a little bit. But the I think that's less of a daily conversation, like as it is more of an overall culture that you build, um, and what your your 
you know, um, goals and objectives are for a season when you lay those out in training camp and what you're, what you're going to culturally be about, like what the DNA of your team is going to be, how you're going to build it um, emotionally and philosophically. And you go about working every day in that manner. So it becomes who they are. Yeah. Right. Like, so, yeah. Yeah. so at this point, it doesn't have to be, if every day you come in there, you got to say, okay, guys, listen, I need you guys to be grownups. I need us not to put the car before the horse. We haven't done anything yet. If that's what you have to do, then you don't have a shot at it. You should have conditioned them to know that this is what we do by this point, right? Like if you talk about it every yeah. day, boy, you ain't got no shot at it. So I think that there are times though, that as this consistency and foundation has been laid, that you will have to grab a knucklehead Raja or Logan and pull them into the office and be like, Hey, listen, all right. You know what you got going on in your world, man? Like what, what's happening at home? Like, you know, we, we've been getting, we've been cutting it close on getting here to practice on time. Like I see a trend starting to kind of develop. I'm just a little bit worried about it. Let's talk it out, man. What's what, boom, get some feedback and just, and just, continue to nudge them in the right directions. Like that's, those are human beings, but I don't think that you need to be, if you're yelling that at this point, then you've already missed. So it should be established. And typically when you see teams playing as well as they are, and this is a large sample size now, and they're all, you know, this offense has looked like this for a long time now, like they're doing things the right way. That foundation has been laid, like they're stable. So now it's just like continuing to go about your business. You can, you can probably right now, Logan, um, as I'm thinking about it, just kind of on the fly. So bear with me. I think as you reach this point in the season, maybe in a few more games, right? Like you are going to start having conversations about, <clears throat> about what the last stretch looks like, about bringing it home the right way, about making the best push we can make to get the best seed in the playoffs, but not necessarily about who we want to see, but the importance of finishing this out on the right note, treating our bodies right, staying healthy, making sure we stay in the weight room the, the way that we need to be in the weight room so that we don't have any lingering injuries. Make sure you get your treatment. Like all of the important things that a young team might not be familiar with because they haven't been in this situation. You start talking about those things going in to this last quarter of the season. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Quickly, real quick. What's the ceiling for the Kings? Where where you see them going? I say second round tops. Yeah, this year, yeah. I mean, for sure. This year. Um, this year. I think they can, like, this is what I'm afraid of. I just don't want them to make a stupid-ass trade this offseason because they're feeling themselves. And I think Monty McNair has done a great job systematically building a team. And I don't sure. want them to go out like the Minnesota Timberwolves where they just say, oh, well, we're here now. Now we got to go compete for a title. It's systematic over years. So I just hope that they do that. This is a great year. Just keep building. I would echo that. I just, look, they're such a fun team uh, offensively that on any given night, they could beat anybody. But you got you got guard in this league, bro, because those teams got, they got dudes too. And I've never seen a team like that's, that's bottom third in the league have true <laughs> postseason success. You know what I mean? So for that reason, I'm out. But are <laughs> <laughs> so bad defensively. I still yeah. love but watching them play. I think I might watch them yeah. this week. I think I'm gonna go. watch them. I think I'm gonna go up to Sack and watch them this week. Um, all right, it is time for snow talk. Okay, we oh. got our guy, Kiggity Kerm, out of the motherfucking cut once more. Um, he is here with him and his do rag. 
He's locked in. Yes, sir. Um, we have 10 minutes on the clock. Kerm is going to ask us questions, pertinent questions about season, the next episode of Southall. <laughs> What's going on, Kerm? What we got? What's up? Uh, you know, to get things started, you know, let's talk about the, this most recent episode was focused on Leon, you know, coming back from the motherland, trying to bring his newfound wisdom to South Central. Uh, so how do we feel about Leon at this point in the season? And he's most definitely getting killed, ain't he? <laughs> <laughs> hey, can let me I, l- listen. First, let me say my parents were in Ghana like a year or two ago. Supposed to be super, super powerful. Oh, and yeah, spiritual. yeah, it is. I, I, I've been. It's definitely a powerful experience. But yeah. Oh, you've been. I ain't been. So like, I, I mean, I, 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 I felt that coming across the screen in the episode. So that was cool. Having said that. Well, you back, you back in the hood, bro. Ain't nobody trying to hear that shit. <laughs> the boys, hey, them boys in the middle of a war. That's a war, dog. You drop back into a war. Those dudes are like, Franklin, what do you tell him? Hey, like, I appreciate all that shit, my boy. You're going to have to pick a side, though. <laughs> like, if, or, or leave. So, yeah, I, I see Leon probably. I, I, my hope is that Leon gets back on the plane and, and, and takes it back. But more than likely, I think Leon's going to get caught up in some stuff, bro, and it's going to be a tragedy. Bro, what the fuck, Leon? You gonna go from beautiful <laughs> Ghana where your girl, your boo-boo is out here loving on you. Y'all getting some fucking, you got your kente cloth popping. Your braids are looking beautiful on both of y'all. Y'all just got, yeah. y'all got moisturizer. Yeah. It's like pa- it's, palm oil down. Oh, you're locked in, right? The last thing I want to do when I'm fucking in Ghana with my queen after all the shit that I've been through over these last few years to go back to crack era Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to Sherman Oaks, bro. I'm not going to Beverly Hills. No, I am going to <laughs> I'm going back to where I just came from, dog. I'm going back to the Jets, bro. Yeah. What the fuck? And also this t- ain't nobody trying to hear, dog. Your man's over here, your number 2. I mean, if you talking to him sideways, he went back to the Jakes. If you talk back to him sideways, he going to pop you, you know? <laughs> like, there ain't, I'm stressed thinking about what Leon is about to go through. I know we got 10 minutes. What's the next question? What the fuck, Leon, is my, is my answer to that. <laughs> so, obviously, it's seeming that Leon is going to be back in Franklin's circle. But let's focus on the rest of Franklin Saint's circle right now. Do we trust his wife? Do we trust his mother-in-law? Where's where's that going to conclude at this season? Where are we yep. going with that? I've been feeling this way for seasons now. I don't trust. I don't trust Veronique, and I do not trust the the mother in law. I have. I just. I don't. I don't. I don't like it. I. I they. Th- there's big like from from Franklin's wife. There's big like you didn't know what you signed up for. Energy. Right, like you knew the job was dangerous when you took it. You knew Franklin wasn't going to lead a game. We we see this time and time again, just people trying to change other people. We saw it in power, right? We see it in these other, these other, these all these all mafioso of uh, films and 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 programs where they try to change other people and it ain't gonna happen, bro. Like either you win or you should just leave him because he's not changing. He has doubled and tripled down on his visit. This motherfucker got the KGB involved in his in his cause. He ain't leaving. He ain't going nowhere. Leave him boo boo or don't. But like the fact that she's there 
makes me think that she's an operative and her the mother-in-law who was with the shits on a level that I just I just can't even fathom I just I don't see it bro I don't know I don't like it I don't trust it I don't like the cut of its jib Raja yes I couldn't put that a better way I, I agree yes all right. Last question. So it's obvious that the overarching, you know, conflict this season is Team Franklin versus Team Jerome and Louie. How do we see that resolving itself? And will Teddy ever get his comeuppance for being, you know, an ain't shit ass CIA guy? Teddy, Teddy's going to get his comeuppance. I know that. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. I think Teddy is going to be Teddy's going to get caught. Someone is catching Teddy. Teddy got too much. Too much going on, bro. Somebody is touching Teddy. I don't know who it's going to be. Is it KGB or is Oso or it's the fucking someone's touching Teddy. Um, I just, man, you know what I felt the other day, man? Like, the, and as you didn't ask me this, but what I felt is when he was sitting at the table with Unk. And I didn't, listen, this is weird Leon for me, Unk? right? You talking about when Leon, Leon Yeah, Yeah, with, no, you know, I'm talking about Franklin was sitting at the table with, with Leon, right? Jerome. Yeah, but when he sm- when he uh when he pulled the gun on him, but that boy got that boy reached across the table and smacked his ass again. <laughs> but listen, man, maybe I'm wrong, dog. But the way I see this, right, they they all got in the game, and and like together, everybody knew what was up, and like I'm Team Franklin though, bro. Like I wasn't expecting that. I'm Team Franklin. Like y- your wife literally went behind my back and stole the plug, bro. Like what a. How am I supposed to act when that happens? I'm supposed to just put tail between my legs and walk away. And I now I got y'all back, and now now we this is family, and you crossed the line. I ain't, nah, I ain't love that. Yeah, and like Franklin put them on to begin with. Like he was, he put them word. I understand that. To answer the original question, though, who's gonna come out on top? This is what I think is gonna happen. This is my little. This is my prediction, bro. I think that. I think Teddy getting popped for show by somebody. He got way too many enemies, right? I yes. think that he is definitely get, he getting a hot one and he ain't waking up from it. I think that that's what's going to happen. I think that, that he's going, I don't know if it's with Oso. I don't know if it's for Franklin. I don't know who it's going to be. I think that he's getting popped. However, I don't think Franklin is getting out of this alive either. Because uh. you can't go against the U.S. government for too long. It is not going to happen. Facts. But... You ain't going to go against the U.S. government in this fictionalized world, bro. It is not happening, dude. This is not how it's going to go down. You are, you, It's just not going to happen. And I think that Teddy going to get his, and I think Franklin going to get his. And I think... Let me, uh, let me ask you a question. Think, let me ask you a question. Think, what's up? What's up? What's up? Does what, What's auntie's name again, man? My bad. What's her? I just had it Louis. on to Louie. Louie. Does... Do, do Louie and Leon make it? Like, as... No, no, no. As a couple. Like, as a couple. Yeah, Jerome, Jerome, you mean? My, my bad, Jerome. I'm sorry. Yes, Jesus Christ. Um, do they make it as a couple? No, I don't think so because there's too much bloodshed, and I think at a certain point, Aunt gonna just be like, "Dog, you have you have you have caused this. You are the root of all of this that is going on. It can't stand." I think I think Leon's uh, not Leon. Excuse Jerome. me. I think Franklin's mother. I think oh, Franklin. Franklin's mother is the one that's going to end. That's my prediction for the rest. He's going to win the series. He's going to be at the end. I think everybody else dying. It's over with. Mm. At the very <laughs> least, Leon catches a slug to the to, to the leg before he gets to the airport. And that's it. You know, because it's 
it's it's over because I'm over here. Here's the thing to to tie it all back up to the first question. When I heard Leon, when I saw Leon when he was like in Ghana chilling, I could feel the breeze my damn self. I'm like, yes. oh, this is perfect. I ain't yes. got. If I am Leon, I am never seen L.A. again in my life. Y'all can fly out here. Y'all can pull up out here. You know, if y'all really want to come and, and, and hang my my personal. F- but there ain't nothing back there for me. Fuck that. I ain't going back. I ain't got. I'll owe you motherfuckers nothing. And that's how and there, I feel. But Leon catching one to the leg. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's about our 10 minute mark. So let's wrap things up. All right, all right. Thank you, man. That that was that was the first and definitely not only edition of Snow Talk. We're gonna do that every Monday for the last season of Snowfall. So we're gonna do it as the real ones. Um, and that has been our episode, our our, our uh, Monday episode of Real Ones. Uh, thank you guys for for tuning in. We do this every Monday and Thursday, um, and we will see you on Thursday, man. Talk to y'all real real soon. Holla. <laughs>